Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 49 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist. Now this week, I have a couple of things to talk to you about before we get into our featured content, um, which is going to be a, a case that's been in the news recently I'm going to tell you about. But before I get into that, I want to tell you about a new podcast. And it's one that I've been featured in and it's great for anybody looking to start up a business. It's called the UK Business Startup Podcast, and it's brought to you by Matthew McLean and Colin Gray uh, from the podcasthost.com. It's a series of podcasts about starting up in business and those sorts of things. And I've recently been featured in episode number four, which is about taking on staff. So it's an interesting podcast for anyone who would like to listen. You can find it on iTunes, and I will put a link in my show notes. And then the second thing I was going to talk to you about today is that I'm doing this podcast for the first time standing up. And um, the reason I'm telling you this is because I have recently purchased a desk which moves from sitting to standing. So you have the option to do both. And I've been doing a lot of standing at work recently. And I'm finding it so beneficial, both for productivity and also just it helps you have more energy and all of that sort of thing. So I would highly recommend it. If you are thinking about getting them for your workforce, um, they aren't actually that expensive. There's a really good range out by IKEA. I'm not affiliated with them. I'm not getting any money from IKEA here, but I just feel quite passionately about this. So if you are thinking of ways to improve your workforce's health um, and that sort of thing, get, getting them a standing desk would be fantastic because you, as I say, with this type of desk, you have the ability to stand or sit depending on how you feel. And it just gives you that extra energy and stops this lethargy of sitting down all day. So um, I might be a bit more upbeat today, hopefully, because I am standing up for this podcast. There we go. A couple of asides for you, some information. Hopefully that's helpful. And I'm going to get straight now into this week's featured case. This week's case is Mrs. Kelly versus Covanance Laboratories Limited. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly, but I will put a link in the show notes so you can find out exactly what I'm talking about if I'm not saying it right. And in this case, this is one that went to the Employment Appeal Tribunal and Mrs. Kelly originally brought her claim in the Employment Tribunal in Leeds and she made various claims against her employer, her former employer, for race, sex discrimination, harassment and victimisation. The reason for Mrs. Kelly's claims is that she's a Russian national and In summary, she was instructed by her manager, Mr Simpson, not to speak Russian at work. And that formed the foundation of her case. Now, just for some background here, Mrs Kelly started work for Covenant's Laboratories on the 4th of February 2014. And she was employed at their laboratory in Harrogate and... It's a large multinational company, but what they do is animal testing. And they'd had some problems or have had some problems with threats from animal rights activists and various things. And in some cases, animal rights activists had obtained employment with them to infiltrate and get information to strengthen their campaign. 
So that's a bit of the background. Now, when Mrs. Kelly started work, her manager had some immediate concerns about her performance and her conduct at work. So pretty much straight away. And in particular, he noted that she had some very unusual conduct or what he considered to be unusual and found it to be quite suspicious in that she was using her mobile phone at work excessively. Um, she was going to the toilets a lot and having lengthy conversations on her mobile phone. And these conversations were taking place in Russian. So no one could really understand or know what she was talking about. Now, Mr. Simpson in his evidence, said that he instructed Mrs. Kelly not to speak Russian at work. And he says that the reason for that was because he was suspicious that she might actually be one of these activists who were trying to infiltrate the organisation. And it was on the back of the suspicions and the wariness that they had about threats and that sort of thing. And so he said it was nothing to do with the fact that she was Russian. It was to do with the fact that she was behaving in a suspicious way and because of the background to what had been going on at the organisation. Now, this took place on the 5th of March 2014. So just a month, really, after she'd started work, Mr Simpson um, gave her this instruction. And apparently there was an email exchange where Mrs Kelly made no issue of this fact. And there were some other things that were discussed about her conduct and performance. And this was all okay. It was a rather reasonable exchange. Then at Mrs Kelly's two-month probation, her manager, Mr Simpson, started the formal capability process because of Mrs Kelly's performance at work. And following this performance review and the instigation of the formal capability process, Mrs Kelly raised a grievance against Mr Simpson, uh, citing various things, including the fact that she'd been instructed not to speak Russian. In the course of things, uh, Mrs Kelly then contacted ACAS as part of the early conciliation process. And for some reason, Mr Simpson thought that perhaps Mrs Kelly had been involved in an employment tribunal before and started to Google her. I don't know the motivation behind this, and I'm just speaking from my experience, but I can really see where the employer was coming from here in that they had an employee who had been employed for two months, had been behaving suspiciously, was potentially, they thought, could have been an animal rights activist and could have been trying to find ways to sabotage them. And maybe he was concerned that this whole process had been contrived and that Mrs Kelly had in some way tried to set them up. So that's just my speculation, as I say, about why he would have done this and why employers would do this in similar situations. So anyway, Mr Simpson googled her and found that actually Mrs Kelly had been convicted of benefit fraud in October 2013 and had been given a suspended sentence at that time. So that was only a sort of five months or so before she started work for Covenants. Following this discovery, the employer decided to instigate disciplinary proceedings against Mrs Kelly on the basis that she had failed to disclose this conviction. And um, following this and the grievance process, Mrs Kelly resigned. So she resigned from her employment on the 20th of May 2014, just over three months after she'd started working there. Now, Mrs Kelly brought claims in the Employment Tribunal, as I said at the beginning, um, on the basis of the behaviour that she was complaining of was in relation primarily to this instruction not to speak Russian at work. At the Employment Tribunal, they dismissed Mrs Kelly's claims for discrimination on the basis that they were satisfied 
that the same instructions had been given to comparators of Mrs. Kelly. So what happened was when Mr. Simpson had told Mrs. Kelly not to speak Russian at work, she had said, well, there are two colleagues who are Ukrainian who also speak Russian at work. And at that time, when Mr. Simpson was informed of that, he notified those employees, line managers of the same instructions. So he asked them to pass it on to their employees as well. Um, I don't think that actually that instruction was passed on, but there was evidence to show that the instruction had been given. So the employment tribunal was satisfied that when looking at a comparator, they were treated the same. There was no difference in the treatment to Mrs. Kelly. They were also satisfied with Mrs. De Simpson's evidence that the reason for the instruction was not related to race. And finally, they decided that actually it didn't meet the criteria for a claim for harassment. So the employment tribunal dismissed all of Mrs. Kelly's claims. Mrs. Kelly appealed against the decision and this was primarily around the claims for race discrimination and harassment. Now the Employment Tribunal looked at what the legal principles are here in relation to these types of claims and for your information in order for an employee to bring a claim for direct discrimination they would need to do so under the Equality Act and that's section 13 of the Equality Act and that says a person discriminates against another if because of a protected characteristic they treat that person less favourably than they would treat or do treat others. Okay, so that's the legal definition of a direct discrimination claim. When you're looking at less favourable treatment, it requires a comparison. So there must be no material difference between the circumstances relating to each case. And so what happens is the employee who brings a claim has to show that they have got a comparator or a hypothetical comparator whose circumstances are not materially different to theirs and who has been treated more favorably than they have. Okay so that's the direct discrimination and then harassment is within the Equality Act again and that's section 26 and that says a person harasses another if they engage in unwanted conduct related to a relevant protected characteristic and the conduct has the purpose or effect of one, violating their dignity or two, creating an intimidating, hostile, degrading, humiliating or offensive environment for the employee. In deciding whether conduct has the effect referred to, so whether it has the effect of violating their dignity or creating that environment, each of the following must be taken into account. And that is one, the perception of the employee, any other circumstances of the case, and whether it would be reasonable for that conduct to have that effect. So whether it's reasonable for the conduct that's being complained of to have the effect that's being alleged by the employee. Now, there has been some guidance that's been laid down by previous cases about how you define harassment. There are three elements which must be present when an employee is making a claim for harassment. So that is, one, unwanted conduct. So there must be the unwanted conduct. Two, and it must have the purpose or effect of violating their dignity or creating an adverse environment for them. And, that, and it must be related to the relevant prohibited ground. So in this case, it's race. So Mrs. Kelly's case was that the unwanted conduct was the instruction and that she alleged that it had the purpose of violating her dignity and also creating an adverse environment for her. The Employment Appeal Tribunal accepted that giving somebody an instruction not to speak their native language could be linked to their race or national origins and it could give rise to a claim for less favourable treatment because of something intrinsically linked with their nationality 
and that then in turn could give rise to a potential claim for direct race discrimination. However, what they decided in this case was that when looking at the direct or hypothetical comparators, it was clear that they would have been treated the same way as the claimant because the two Russian-speaking Ukrainians colleagues, for instance, were told the same thing. And it wasn't a case that the employer was merely saying to those that spoke Russian. The requirement was that employees spoke in English at work. And this was linked to the fact that they were concerned about the potential for sabotage or some other infiltration from animal rights activists. So the Employment Appeal Tribunal was satisfied that there was a clear non-discriminatory reason for this, that other people would have been treated in the same way. And that would have included anybody, as I said, who didn't speak English or wasn't speaking English at work. The Employment Appeal Tribunal also agreed with the Employment Tribunal's conclusion that Mr Simpson had reasonable grounds for concern here. And given the environment in which the company worked, they were satisfied that they would have done the same thing with others. Unfortunately for Mrs Kelly, her claims were unsuccessful at the Employment Tribunal and she was unsuccessful in her appeal at the Appeal Tribunal. So the outcome of this case is that it's not necessarily going to be discriminatory treatment to give an instruction to an employee not to speak their native language at work. However, what you shouldn't do is take this as being read for every case that comes about because each case will be dealt with on the facts and the circumstances. And the key factor in this case was that there were very good and very clear reasons why this was being implemented or why this instruction was being given to Mrs Kelly. And that wasn't to do with anything to do with race or national origin. It was merely to do with the circumstances within which the company operated. So what should you take from this case? Well, the key thing to take from it is that when you're dealing with an issue like this, you do need to proceed with caution. You do need to ensure that you treat everybody in a fair and proportionate manner and that you should follow things up with clear reasons why. In the case of Mr Simpson giving the instruction to Mrs Kelly, I don't know from the information that's been disclosed or that's available on this case whether he actually followed that up with an email to Mrs Kelly and said, the reason why I'm asking you to do this is because of the fact that we need to understand what you're saying because of the environment in which we work. I don't think that that's not stated in any of the um, judgments or summaries. So it might very well have been one of the pieces of evidence that the employer had. But what I'm trying to illustrate there is the importance of communication and ensuring that you have some sort of record. If you are in a similar situation or you're making giving instructions to employees that could potentially be seen as being a discriminatory instruction or a criteria or practice which could put others at a disadvantage for whatever reason, then ensure that you have good written reasons as to why. And that would be excellent evidence for you if you ended up having to defend yourself to a claim for discrimination. You should certainly ensure that you have some good advice before you do anything that could potentially amount to discrimination. And I know that's very difficult because there are lots of things that you do on a day-to-day basis and you don't really want to be running them past lawyers every five minutes. But if it feels that there could be something wrong there and you'll know that within your organisation and you'll know the employees that will be the difficult ones, then at that point you should get some advice. 
So I told you about this case for a couple of reasons. Obviously, it's quite interesting in terms of the Equality Act and the facts of it are fairly interesting. But another point that I found quite interesting about this is that Mrs. Kelly had only been employed for about three months when she resigned and then pursued this claim. And it was clear from the very beginning that there were potential issues with her. So I I just say as a warning, really, because lots of the times people say to me, well, they've only been here a couple of months. Can I just get rid of them? Or can I just do this? Or can I just do that? Well, the answer is they may not have protection from unfair dismissal if they've only been there for a couple of years, but then doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to pursue a claim. And although the company in this case, the employer covenants, won their case, undoubtedly, if they had legal representation, it would have cost them money and it would have cost them time. So the management time in sending along people to be witnesses in taking witness statements in giving instructions to solicitors and dealing with the case. Now, it might not necessarily have been the case that they could have prevented that in this one. You know, each employee is very different. But what I'm saying is, if you are in a situation where you have a difficult employee and they've only been employed for a couple of months, don't just take it as read that they won't bring an employment tribunal claim against you because they've been employed only for a couple of months. Now, if you would like any advice or information about anything you've heard in this podcast, you can contact me. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. I am a solicitor, as I said at the beginning. I have my own employment law practice, which is Real Employment Law Advice. I provide advice and assistance to employers and employees. I deal with all kinds of things, including employment tribunal claims, defending employment tribunal claims, and also the HR and the softer side of things, because what I like to specialise in is helping you to stop those issues from arising. So do please contact me at a very early stage if you have any issues. I'm very happy to have a chat with you on the phone. It doesn't matter where you are in the UK, because I am able to advise you using the brilliance of modern technology wherever you are. Once again, if you do require any advice and assistance, please don't hesitate to get in contact. It's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. And if you don't want to wait for another two weeks for a further employment law update, I do have a newsletter which goes out alternate week to the podcast. So the next newsletter will be sent out on the morning of Monday, the 29th of February. And if you'd like to sign up, you can do so on my website. It's adviceforemployers.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening and have a fantastic week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.